proverb related to the passage in the evening. And so uh, Paul kicked us off with uh, the opening verses of 1 John. And so now this is the, the proverb for the evening. So I'm in Proverbs chapter 8, beginning with verse 22. So let's give our attention to the Word of God. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. When he made firm the skies above. When he established the fountains of the deep. When he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was beside him, like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. Rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, watching beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. He lost the first pair. <laughs> Going through the glasses. These are my wife's glasses. So I borrowed her other pair. This is terrible. Well, they work. <laughs> suggested, uh, I suggested First John, and Jay suggested that we do a proverb in, uh, that follows the thread as we've done in the past. We've reached through Hebrews, and we would do a psalm, many psalms that uh, followed out of, flowed out of Hebrews, and so this is similar, similar to that, and um, and uh, uh, this one was easy. I don't know how, how I, yeah, I, I got to the uh, easy one on um, 1 John 4, where you have the personification of the Word of God, which is the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, and then all the cross-references, at least in my Bibles and my study, went to uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 8 and the uh, personification 
of wisdom that you find there uh, by Solomon. Oh, thank you. There, there they are. My wife will be glad. She'll be relieved that I don't stretch her glasses more. My wife did. Thank you, Jay. Um, the if you're like me and you read through the Bible regularly, I hope you are reading through the Bible regularly, and you read the life of uh, David, you know, the life of Solomon following David, I can't help but being struck by these mighty men of God, these men after God's own heart. Uh, David uh, directly is directly attributed to David that he wrote 72 of the 155 Psalms, uh, and and there's a, a very true biblical sense that all the Psalms should be attributed to David, uh, although some are clearly in a different time uh, and context. The um, overriding um, um, truth is that, that, that David didn't have such a great life in his latter years. Things kind of fell apart for him after his grievous sin with uh, Bathsheba and, and, uh, and what he did to Uriah. He murdered Uriah. He lied to the nation. And even after that, his terrible family management with his son Absalom and the resulting uh, disaster for Israel that was, you, you, um, you have a, a, a lesson after lesson of dysfunction in families and God's grace overcome it. And that dysfunction follows Solomon, although Solomon begins so incredibly well. In, his, uh, in the succession of the kingdom uh, of Israel from David to Solomon. And Solomon begins so incredibly well. He builds the magnificent temple that David couldn't build because of his sins, his, his bloodshed that he uh, committed. He says, you're a man of blood. You can't build my temple. So your, 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 your son Solomon will build the temple. And and he builds this magnificent edifice that was one of the wonders of that, that world. And it was a wonder of the presence of God. God came and dwelt in the temple. And it was a magnificent house of worship and a testimony to the nations. And Israel expanded its boundaries to the, to the uh, farthest it had ever been expanded in fulfillment of of the plan of God for the expansion of Israel. And you wonder, though, at the life of Solomon. Because the way Solomon ends his life, if you, look, if you read through the Bible and you read the end of Solomon's life, it is not a good ending. And this man of God that God used to write these 31 chapters of this book of Proverbs, uh, if you don't have a Bible study plan, the, one of the best plans that you can have is to take one chapter of the book of Proverbs um, a day. It was 31, 31 chapters. You can, if you forget where you are in your Bible reading plan, you can always go to the wisdom of God in Solomon. And, 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 and 
is a testimony of God's grace. David is a testimony of the grace of God because it is the root of David who is the Messiah. And you must remember that Solomon, was, was, who followed David, is also the root of the Messiah. And the same principle of looking at David as a type of a man of God, a type of a Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. It means, simply means king. He was, they were the, the Messiahs of Israel, of the Old Testament, the anointed ones. And David is the last, uh, uh, the Lord Jesus, rather, is the last of the anointed ones. And just as David is a type, so is Solomon a type. And so uh, you get over the, the it, is, it is a picture of the grace of God. That God uses sinful men by anointing them with his spirit to communicate uh, his grace and his truth. And so, here you have 31 chapters devoted to teaching uh, young people, particularly young men, not to be fools. It gives you the definition of a fool, and it tells, uh, tells young people, young, uh, it's, it was a book of instruction primarily for young men, so that they wouldn't be foolish and they would follow the Lord. In the middle of this book, or close to the middle of this book, you have this incredible chapter 8, which is the personification of wisdom. And it's a, in the English Standard Version and all the versions of the Bible that translate accurately, you'll notice that this is a feminine voice. The pronouns are feminine. It doesn't mean that God is feminine, but it does show that God made man in his image, male and female. I have thought for many years reading this that the personification <coughs> of wisdom here is the Holy Spirit. <coughs> but after reading Matthew Henry's commentary this week, I changed my mind. It is emphatically, according to Matthew Henry, no less than the pre-incarnate Christ. And we are to view it as such. And if you read carefully the text, verse 22, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old, and he was set up at the first from before the beginning of the earth. And from the depths he was brought forth. This is uh, a picture of how the pre-incarnate Son of God, through the agency of, of the, um, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, they, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit work in concert uh, to uh, bring about the creation of the world. It's important to never fully separate them in our mind at the same time to remember that they are three distinct persons. In fact, you see it even in uh, Genesis 1, right? You go back to the beginning of 
creation, uh, the language is similar there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Um, the very word God is Elohim, which is a plural ending of the singular God. There's one God who exists eternally in three persons, and there, there is a hint even in the name of God in the work of the Spirit there. So we look, when we look at 1 John 1, 1 through 4 that we looked at this morning, it immediately takes us back to John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1. In, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It immediately takes us back to Genesis 1, verse 1, where in the beginning God created uh, all that is out of nothing in the space of six days. We do not, we do not believe in three gods as the Muslims blasphemously claim. We believe in one God who exists eternally in three persons. We, we believe in the triune Godhead. And, it, and it's not in the Bible, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but it is a good word that explains who God is. He is Trinity. He is a Trinity. <clears throat> that central truth of the orthodox true faith has been constantly under assault from the time of Christ's resurrection to the present. In fact, it was under assault by the Pharisees and the Sadducees about the person of Jesus. When he made direct and overt claims throughout the Gospels, particularly the Gospel of John, that he was God and that he had the right to make that claim. I I am dismayed, but not, I should not be, we should not be, but the, the assaults that come against the gospel. I'll, I'll never forget being in Istanbul, Istanbul Turkey, visiting our missionary Jacob personally there, at a gathering of all the missionaries and pastors uh, in that area all the way over to Iraq, gathered together by Bible translators to present this wonderful new translation of the Bible, uh, of, of the Gospels. And I don't read um, uh, Arabic. Uh, I, um, I barely made it through Hebrew and Greek in seminary, but I made it. I don't read beyond that, even though there are large portions of the Old Testament written in uh, Aramaic, uh, and Arabic is directly descended from that. But they were so proud of their translation, but I heard them 
these young American men present this Bible as being one that would reach the Muslim world. And to my utter dismay, it would reach them because Muslims had helped translate this Bible. And they had retranslated the passages about the Father and the Son in such a way that it would not be offensive to Muslims. The reaction of the um, faithful uh, middle, um, I don't know what you call it, the Near East, Middle Eastern pastors from Turkey, Iraq, Iran, who had, who had at great cost gathered themselves in Istanbul for this presentation, were in shock. They were in utter dismay. Their, their response was, we are, we have been dying for the truth that Jesus is the eternal Son of God and you want to remove it. This is something that goes to the right of the heart of the scriptures. This is what in our own country the Mormons do, so-called churches. <laughs> The Latter-day Saints, they take parts of scripture and they embellish, again, for the purpose of diminishing the person of Christ. This is what the, I, I can't even call them Jehovah's Witnesses, I refer to them as Jehovah's False Witnesses. This is what they do. They take John 1, 1, and they retranslate it. They change the word of God. To, to clearly, uh, uh, from what it clearly says, that the Word was with God and the Word was God, and they insert language that He was a God. This is the mark of every, every cult. The Scripture plainly tells us, throughout the Scripture, and our text plainly tells us, that this is a lie. That God, the Yahweh, the Lord, possessed the eternal wisdom of God from the beginning. Wisdom is not merely an attribute of God here. Wisdom possesses the personal properties and actions of God, as Matthew Henry says. Each person of the triune Godhead, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are of the same essence, but each of them possess these attributes. Ages ago, he was set up before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. 
before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills I was brought forth, before he had made the earth with its fields or the, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there and he drew a circle on the faces of the deep. Wisdom is God's eternal offspring. It is this morning we, we talked about the logos, and I am I am no um, I am no um, Greek um, philosophy scholar by any means. We have one here. We have a philosophy professor here as your associate. You should seek out Jay Bruce and talk about the history of the logos and the um, <coughs> Greek philosophy. I'm sure it's a it's, it's an incredible subject, one that has great depth. But it's that language that John used to point out who Jesus is. Uh, and the way I understand it is the Logos was a unifying principle of all life that the Greek philosophers had largely settled on. And here comes John in his gospel and his epistle and saying that he, Jesus, is the eternal Logos. He is the eternal Son of God. Early in the church's history, there, there set about a great controversy on, on the um, uh, person of Christ. This, 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 this wicked tendency to take down the Son of God and to make him just a man, albeit a perfect man, is nothing new. Great her heretic Arius. Uh, was emphatic that he was just a perfect man. And a little North African bishop uh, named Athanasius stood against him from, uh, from his pulpit in Alexandria, Egypt. But Athanasius, the whole world, is going after and the famous words from Athanasius. Mm -hmm. Athanasius contramundum. Then Athanasius is against the world. If the whole world goes against the deity of Christ, and the whole world tells us that we must, we must pull back that language and soft pedal it so we don't offend those from different religious backgrounds, we must say we are against the world. We cannot advance the gospel by diminishing the person of Christ. We must exalt him as the word of God exalts him. He's king of kings and lord of lords. The fulfillment of all the types, including the personification of wisdom. we see in these verses. The truth is that whoever loves wisdom, whoever loves Jesus, loves life. Indeed, he is the unifying principle that explains everything. You know, I, I joke 
when the young people often want to be a star in Sunday school, just say, Jesus, you'll be right 99.9% .9 of the time. Because he's the answer to all of life now and forever. You understand who he is. You understand it's he who made you. He is your creator. He not only made you, he redeems you for himself. And that because of his ownership of you through creation and redemption, you owe him everything. He made you in his image. Whether you're male or female, you are the image of God. And how blasphemous it is for a generation to try to change what God has made. It is the blasphemy of the present generation that shakes its fists in the face of its creator and denies the very God who made them in his image. This is why this, this whole movement of transgenderism is so wicked. It's not something to be laughed at or scoffed at or mocked or, or, or to shake our heads at. It's something to mourn. And for, it's something for us to confront with the glorious gospel of grace. You understand who Jesus is. You understand that he made everything in heaven and earth, as our text tells us tonight. And he made it to glorify himself. And he made you to glorify himself and to honor him. If you love Jesus, you love life. Whoever seeks and find, finds Jesus finds life. That's what he said. He said, I am the way. John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Same thing that Solomon says in verse 35. Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. On the other hand, we must tell the truth that to reject Jesus, to cast aside wisdom, is to choose death. That's what verse 36 says so plainly. He who fails to find me injures himself. If you fail to follow Jesus and follow his ways, you injure yourself. If you hate Jesus, you love death. That's what the text says. So very plainly, if you hate Jesus, you love death. We live in a world that hates Jesus. 
Well, they might like the Jesus in the, in the commercials. I think there's a, some kind of commercial ad running about Jesus. It reminds me of an old rock and roll song from my childhood that was uh, wicked. Doobie, the Doobie Brothers, you know, anyone smoking marijuana is someone you shouldn't take your theology from their songs. But they had a song, Jesus is just all right with me. Jesus is just all right with me. Really? How wicked that he's just all right. There's a reason they call it dope. Another word for fools, what the Proverbs calls a fool. Jesus is God. He is the creator God. He is the redeemer God who gave his perfect life to redeem sinners. Failing to find him causes great harm and great injury, failure to seek his wisdom, to seek his guidance, to follow his will results in injury, to ultimately reject him by hating his word and disobeying it causes death, not just temporal death, but eternal death. I, um, I listened to the uh, father of the young lady's uh, nieces of uh, Tor and Teresa Falk, who were uh, members here and faithful <coughs> members here, whose niece, uh, nieces who they were very close to. Uh, it's, they, they lived with them for a time. Um, the missionary kids grew up. Some of you know this, many of you know this story. They would come in, they went to Jackson Hole, Jackson Hole Bible College. What a great place to go. If I was a young person, that's where I'd go to school. <laughs> they were coming back uh, from a, uh, from a uh, trip, a reunion trip and a recruiting trip for others to go to that school and a DUI across the road hit a 18-wheeler, no, it bumped an 18-wheeler and it, it crossed the road and hit them head on and they were instantly with four of their companions uh, taken to be with the war. And it was uh, an amazing uh, funeral. I listened to part of the funeral of the father talking about his daughter's faith now their plans for them were interrupted and how that, those lives were uh, uh, totally shaken, but the result of their testimony extended far beyond probably what would ever be in their lives. And the grace extended to this wicked person who, who um, took drugs or drank or whatever he did to be in such a condition to to uh, murder people, there's no other word. And how the father stood up and forgave publicly for what he had done. I just thought this, what a, what a picture of grace. Uh, I, I had not grown in grace that much. I couldn't have done 
into such a place. But it truly is a picture of the gospel. I don't know if this man accepted their forgiveness. I hope he does. I hope he repents. I know Solomon started off so well, and then he fell off the wagon at the end of his life, and there's no report of his final repentance. One of his descendants is named Manasseh, who was as wicked as, wicked as he was, and we're told that he did evil and vile things beyond what anyone could think of, and yet at the end of his life, in chains and in brokenness, he repents. I recently heard a sermon where it was described this man was having doubts about his faith and, and how, he, how he didn't know he had certain sin issues that came, keep coming up and he didn't know if he would make it into heaven and, and someone pointed uh, well let me just point you to Manasseh God is gracious to returning sinners Whoever finds Jesus finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Whoever fails to find Jesus injures himself. The world hates him. We live in a culture of death. We, we have exponential death all around us. People are killing themselves at a level that is, has never been seen. People are killing their offspring at the same level, even though Roe v. Wade has been overturned as law or the law. It hasn't diminished abortion one bit. Someone said it might, there might have been a 5% drop in the number of abortions in the United States as a result. Culture who loves death. Our children are being subjected to the worst kind of lies that results in eternal death. The very truth of what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1 they have exchanged the truth of God for a lie, they've changed the life of Christ for death. We must be, not despair of these things, but we must proclaim. We must possess, first of all, a faith in the Creator God, the Redeemer God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who with the Father and with the Holy Spirit has redeemed us from the pit of hell forever. And we must, with joy, <laughs> uh, maintain a posture in the midst of a fallen world, a posture of possessing the life of Christ. I talk to too many young people who are despairing of life, who are, who are feeling hopeless. Their, their emotion is hopelessness. Every time you hear someone, someone say that, be, be on guard and, and say, there's hope. There are three great Christian virtues, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, 
and love. The greatest is love, of course, but faith and hope are right there beside it. We are never, Christian people are never without hope. Because we have the greatest hope of all. And that's the, a hope not, not based on conjecture, but a based on the certainty of what Christ has done. That the Bible tells us was ordained from the foundation of the world before the foundation of the world. That was always the eternal plan of God for all who would put their faith and trust in Him. I, I urge you tonight, whatever your place, whatever your condition, is turn from this world, turn from this dark world and its hopelessness to the light and the joy of knowing Christ. The eternal wisdom of God, God himself. Let us pray. Father, you know every heart, you know every mind here. Conform us more to the image of Christ. Forgive us of our sins. Father, so often we look down at this earth, we look down at circumstances we look down at our sin we look down at our problems we look at down at our at all the all the things that over, overwhelm us and father we we sometimes come to the edge of despair or hopelessness and we are never without hope help us to know that tonight transform us with the power of the gospel from the power of the one who created everything out of nothing in six days who has the power to raise the dead from life, to, who has the power to take dry bones and knit them together again in the resurrection. Father, this is our hope. And help us not to come to that place that we're tempted to by the evil one of despair. And Father, we have much more light than David had. We had much more light than Solomon had. We look at their lives and you tell us they're an example for us not to be like them. And yet, at the same time, to imitate their faith when they're strong. They were tight for Jesus. Give us tonight hearts like David's. Give us wisdom like Solomon's in his prime when you moved him by the Holy Spirit to write your very word. And Father, keep us from being foolish. And Father, as I think of uh, my own life and how foolish I am at times, I, I don't want to be like Solomon. <clears throat> there is, as your word, uh, it doesn't say in your word, but it's truism. There is no fool like an old fool. Help us not to be swept away to the current of this world which is running straight into hell forever. But help us to be firm in our foundation which is upon Christ alone and nothing else. And help us to speak bold truths to a world that is dying apart from Jesus. And Father, may the light of the gospel uh, pull us from the pit. Father, we hear reports of revival in various places. We hope these revivals are true. We pray that reformation will follow revival. We pray that uh, that revival would begin 
in us here in our hearts tonight even that you give us a new zeal for your word, a new zeal for prayer, a new zeal for reaching our lost relatives and friends, a new zeal for coming alongside our neighbors to tell them the truth and to demonstrate the truth of the gospel. Father, in such a way that uh, the life of Jesus through his creation and through his redemption of us would shine. And Father, we ask all these things in his precious holy name. Amen.